Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. downtown Toronto headquarters. Here's episode 383 of the Really Awful Movies podcast. Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Now, if this rhyme rings a bell, I mean, it, it should. It's from Rub-A-Dub, Three Men in a Tub. And talk about an oblique reference here. I mean, this is as indirect as you can get. Three Men in a Tub, I'm guessing. And this just dawned on me. It didn't occur to me right away. But this refers to the rather unique premise in this 1982 film of a love triangle between three men. And even to the extent that it wasn't actually the case, this is one of the foundations of an investigative detective's uh, work into one of the murders in this film. So this is one of the gayer entries in the horror pantheon, the other being uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, although with that film, the homoeroticism was subtext, whereas this is all text. And uh, this is an interesting beast because uh, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, could easily be dismissed as one of your standard uh, stock and slash type films because that's the appearance it gives off. You know, when it has the flashing knife blade in the uh, poster art imagery, which conjures up the likes of your prom nights or many a giallo film that did that. But this is a, a slow burn film that has as it, at its core an almost vulnerable male protagonist and not the standard final girl. So the vulnerability tables, if you will, are being turned with this one and that makes for interesting viewing, that's for certain. So like a standard 80s film, this one has a prologue and this is something that, well, the aforementioned uh, prom night, you have this bullying scene and uh, someone falling out a window and, uh, and of course, a Hospital Massacre has a uh, young kid who's rebuffed on Valentine's Day. And uh, in, in the case of a prologue, typically, and uh, there's just a litany of them, too, too many to name here, but it's typically used as an almost chronological justifier for a, an antagonist psychopathic behavior later in life. And what you get here is young Billy Lynch being taken care of by a caregiver while his parents go on a road trip. And as their vehicle meanders through the California hills, they meet with this terrible accident. It almost reminds me of one of those wood log uh, incline rides at the, at, the, at the fair, county fair or something, where you get in the log and you go down and, and you splash. Uh, they're too closely following a lumber truck and one of the, uh, I guess they get into an accident and one of the, uh, one of the trunks uh, slips off and uh, decapitates the driver. And that's uh, Billy's father. And then the, uh, in time-honored fashion, 
the vehicle careens down the hill, blows up, and uh, kills both occupants. Uh, I love the word careen because it, it's such a journalism cliche. And as a journalist, I think I remember in journalism school being uh, uh, told to eschew that one or just to it, do your best to steer clear of that. But as a crime reporter, you almost, I mean, or a traffic reporter, something, someone is always careening into somebody, right? So what you have is what you think will turn out to be uh, 14 years hence or post-accident, what you think will have happened is, well, this boy is left to his own devices and maybe he's brought up in this terrible household and he will turn out to be this killer. And given his name is Billy, well, we've already established the name Billy as a common one among horror antagonists. Given, let's say, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and, you know, punish, punish with that Billy, but put on the map, first off, in the uh, seminal 1974 Canadian horror film, Black Christmas, and uh, Billy, I mean, that's the, probably the most famous iteration. And of course, you have var variations thereof in uh, for, for Billy and Gremlins, and I could go on and on. I mean, but... Uh, it just seems so ubiquitous at the time. This character played by uh, Jimmy McNichol, he's a basketball player, and he's got this alpha male kind of, uh, you know, uh, activity that he participates in. He's, a, he's quite a baller and everything, but at the same time, he brings this uh, vulnerability. And interestingly, Bill Paxton, I think in a very, very early role, is one of his teammates and accuses Billy of uh, brown-nosing and uh, kissing the coaches behind. Uh, Billy is actually being uh, scouted by the University of Denver to play on, uh, and get a college uh, scholarship and whatnot. So uh, kind of an interesting dynamic there, not to mention the fact that uh, Billy's coach, it turns out, is gay. So this sets in motion a, a very interesting uh, plot device. And again, this is not your standard st stock and slash. This is something that's a very unique beast uh, in, in its own right. So what you have is the coach's lover, who is a TV repairman. He comes over to the uh, Lynch household, and there's an altercation between the TV repairman and Cheryl, who is the aunt who is raising uh, Billy. And in this altercation, the, uh, the TV repairman is killed. Cheryl kills him with a knife. Now, um, she tries to get her story straight and insists that, you know, Billy, as the uh, ostensible witness, that uh, she was being uh, sexually assaulted. And that would uh, justify self-defense in her uh, knifing of this, uh, of this uh, contractor. However, the chief investigator, who's played by Bo Svensson, uh, will have none of that. And he posits his own theory that this is a love triangle involving both the deceased, who is the uh, basketball coach's lover, and also young Billy. So what would have happened is that maybe uh, there was some jealousy sparked by the uh, closening relationship, or budding relationship between the uh, basketball coach and his young charge that eventually blossomed into a romance and then uh, things got to a head and then Billy ended up stabbing the victim. So that is what he posits. And this is something that he will not drop because he is a dyed-in-the-wool homophobe. Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, really makes a lot of use of the F-bombs here. Like he just, Bo Svensson, it's, it's cringeworthy how many times he uses fag. And when you see a movie, let's say like uh, Warriors, when uh, one gang member is chiding another one saying like, what are you, uh, you're not really tough enough, what are you, some sort of faggot? And when you hear it in that context, I don't want to diminish it saying it's not as bad, but it, it kind of 
isn't as bad just because it's not used in such a derogatory way as it is here because it's alpha male, uh, two young bucks just being idiots. But here you have someone who should know better and that's the police lieutenant. And uh, he uses this term so often and he will not let go. He's just like a rabid dog with this theory and he's just chomping at the bit to just pursue this against, uh, you know, all odds just to continue this uh, harangue. And this is something that he's going to pursue. And uh, our listeners will really know uh, Bo Svensson as, uh, well, I mean, the star of uh, Snow Beast, but also uh, Cracker Jack 3. But he's also in uh, the original or in Glorious Bastards. He's a favorite of Quentin Tarantino's and is the only, I think, actor to appear in both in Glorious Bastards. But he's um, a naturalized U.S. citizen born in Sweden. He's a, a hulking figure and an ex-Marine. He's like 6'5", and he just cuts a, a great figure, and he's just a, a real jerk. And uh, his character is really good, and I think they even make him an ex-Marine in this one too. So he will he just bullies and just charges forward with his uh, theory. Meanwhile, the, uh, the relationship between Billy and his aunt is one that's further explored here, and greatly explored, and insofar as she does not want him to leave and has this very protective... Uh, she doesn't want him to leave the nest. She doesn't want him to go to Colorado and pursue his athletic dreams. And her character is just absolutely great. Uh, this is uh, Susan Terrell who plays who plays the aunt, and she's just absolutely dynamite as Cheryl, who's just very unhinged, who doesn't really countenance or take into effect any of uh, Billy's wishes. And whenever the discussions of scholarships are brought up, she just dismisses them, and she even uh, makes a bedroom for uh, her nephew to uh, to I guess rent or something when he was like when he's going to start a life for himself in small town California as opposed to just going and forging his own identity out in the world so she just basically you know doesn't want to uh, you know uh, cut the um, the apron strings and she just keeps him very close and tight and and uh, you know this, this is the the dynamic between the two of them is is really I mean it really comes to a head when um, you see him uh, passed out and she's actually licking his face so they have all this there's this uh, incestuous I mean you wouldn't even want to call it subtext because it's pretty like uh, pretty blatant text but you have this the the dynamic between the two of them is very ambiguous and uh, to make matters worse. What you also have is this nagging, persistent uh, investigator, the constabulary, that uh, the Bo Svensson character is the lieutenant who is so hellbent on his theory that he's pursuing it uh, to, like, by any means necessary. And this includes also, uh, he plays Detective Carlson, so this includes pursuing uh, Billy, but also Billy's girlfriend and asking them about how many times they uh, they do it or in 70s 80s parlance how many times they make it which is really creepy to ask of a 17 year old <laughs> but he just keeps going and keeps pressing with it and i guess this is to establish that uh, billy is actually gay and that uh, you know and that this is uh, how things transpired with the murder uh, now um it turns out, and this is, a, you know, this is where we're going to venture into spoiler, uh, what did we learn territory, but the ant is really the chief antagonist here. And uh, when I was thinking, as Mother's Day just passed, and there's a few of uh, real genre standouts that uh, really amplify the uh, mama's boy dynamics. And obviously, the first and foremost, what everyone 
calls to mind would be uh, Psycho, right, with Norman Bates. But uh, for our purposes, too, you can't help but throw in the likes of Maniac, which has a really strong dynamics there. And you, when you have the, uh, the Frank Zito character, and he's just calling for his mama, and and you have him just surrounded by mannequins, and uh, he it's just well, there's tons of movies that play on this theme, but I think uh, those are the two ones. I, I think this one and the Don Denouement reveals itself to uh, so that uh, when uh, Billy, I guess, does a little bit of investigating, he does find out that he has a closer relationship with his aunt than uh, previously determined, and, and that's just uh, something that's really well drawn out as well. And um, th this is a movie that takes its time getting going. And this is, again, not something that you would think of for the time. It, again, it, has, it calls to mind all some of, the, some of the tropes and trappings you would see from the type of uh, boom-era slasher films. And it really doesn't have any of those. It's more meandering. It's more protracted. It's more deliberate in a way. And... Uh, you know, maybe some would say it's boring. And as an aside here, I find that criticism to be extremely tedious. Um, I was thinking I was on Instagram and uh, someone I was following just dismissively said that they found Suspiria boring. And I've always thought like you have to engage with art at least halfway and you have to bring to the table at least uh, something that with in, in which to engage it. As like being bored is already something that should be satisfied by the fact you're engaging in entertainment so-called so i find that a strange criticism i mean to be bored is like the paradoxical wish for uh, a wish like a like the desire to have a desire to do something and it just really irked me not in not so much that it was a, a time-honored classic in the pantheon of horror like Suspiria, but just the fact that something is boring or worse as i'll see something dismissed it bored me I find that extremely irritating. Like, I could say easily that Manos, The Hands of Fate, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had scenes of driving that were very boring. But neither movie was boring, per se. Uh, Manos maybe had long stretches of inactivity that were maybe not <laughs> the best developed. But, I mean, my God, it's not like boring in the sense of someone uh, showing you their, you know, vacation videos or something. There are certain things that are legitimately boring or uh, as uh, the famously dour uh, philosopher Schopenhauer once remarked, like if pigeons uh, flew around already roasted, we would die of boredom. <laughs> but it's an, it's an aside. I don't know to what extent people will engage with this movie, but I think if they're fair, they'll give it a fair shake because there's a lot going for it. I mean, you have in one case, uh, Cheryl, the aunt, uh, the overly zealous and overly intrusive and uh, hands-on aunt walking in on her nephew and his girlfriend uh, right in the throes of uh, passion and then calling her, his girlfriend a slut and all this stuff. And uh, there's a lot of just weird things going on and a lot of voyeurism and just strangeness that goes on and she at one point grabs a meat tenderizer and uh, pummels the girlfriend over the head and you assume that she's dead and there's just so many weird little quirky scenes that put this a cut above other types of uh, other types of films and i think that's in large part drawn out by the amazing performances and i think you know, susan terrell is just dynamite uh, as as the ant and uh, some have say this is framed as a contemporary uh, oedipus and 
which is it's funny. It just reminds me of high school and the in uh, I think. Uh, one of some mythology class or something they showed us this uh, Oedipus film adaptation starring Christopher Plummer and I want to say it also had Orson Welles in it but I could be wrong but yeah the uh, the Freudian uh, undertones is something that really this uh, movie really brings out and I think there's a lot going for this one and I really didn't know what to make of it right off the bat and I think to this film's credit and this is directed by uh, William Asher that it keeps you really guessing a lot of the way and all the characters are resolutely interesting and uh, this one would have I think uh, raised a lot of eyebrows at the time in the early 80s but uh, maybe shouldn't and uh, it, it deserves you know a, a very very um, engaging look and you know there's tons of just dynamite scenes there's a fire uh, poker that's used in one scene to great effect uh, there's a little tiny scene that speaks to lieutenant carlson's uh, bigotry too where he's interrogating a uh, looks like a migrant worker this uh, you know mexican character and he's pulls out his gun this is this giant like um, a 57 magnum almost looking gun and he's he intimidates the little guy with it and it just his character is really well done and although you'll cringe and wince at uh, all the fags being dropped in here it's it really does uh, make this more emotionally charged and uh, and resonant i think and uh, it turns out as, as things progress and unfold that we begin to learn more about who uh, Billy's actual father was. And, you know, again, this is something that uh, I think I think is something that's well worth your time. And uh, uh, critics have uh, talked about. You know, how this engages the stereotype of uh, the overbearing uh, mom producing like an effet uh, son and that. And I think it's kind of I, I like the way that they play with the dynamic of uh, Billy because uh, you you don't get the sense right off the bat that he's uh, immediately straight so they play with it and they play with your expectations a little bit although you can probably infer that he was although there are different takes on that one so I thought this one was pretty pretty dynamite I mean given <laughs> given the subject matter you got to hand it to it that this is a really underseen film that deserves I think a little bit uh, a little bit more attention than it does. So anyway, uh, I think that's it for today. I'm going to keep this one short because uh, I've got to get uh, back to the business of uh, journalism, speaking of uh, journalism. But uh, you'll, if you're a, um, a film fan, you'll notice a lot of the Hollywood Hills type locations and the L.A. surrounding area and the Elysian Park and some of the uh, some of the thing, some of the you know scenes, you can almost instantly tell when someone's just stepped out of uh, Los Angeles and moved, or just to you know for the sake of convenience to editing and uh, and you know putting together a film. So anyway, it, it's I think it will be uh, revisited with uh, fresh eyes. I think at least it should be, and it might have been uh, flat out wholesale uh, dismissed at the time, but it really shouldn't be. I'm gonna give this one a solid three out of five stars and. Uh, it's, as a coming-of-age tale, very intriguing, very, very close, very solid, well-developed relationships with little silliness to bear brought in the proceedings, but that was par for the course back in the day. Definitely worth your time and check it out. Continue to check out the Really Awful Movies podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.
Thank mm-hmm. you.